Hey everybody, got something special for you today. It's the first episode of the Wiki Game Guide's official community podcast, or the Comcast as they've affectionately named it. Uh, it's hosted by Simon Wu and Alex Miller, a couple guys that have been fans of this site for a while. And they're doing a podcast that's, uh, that's much more focused on the news and new releases for gaming. That Dan and I, we don't do a ton of gaming news stuff as, as deep as they've been going. It's the first Wiki Game Guides Comcast, short for Community Podcast. And we should thank Dan and John for their incredible support in getting us off the ground here. Yeah, we'd just like to go ahead and say first that uh, we're really thankful for helping us. And uh, we've been fans for a long time. The coverage they provide for all of the game world is pretty excellent. So we're hoping to help supplement that. I'm Alex Miller. Right, and I'm Simon Wu. That's R-A-M and S-W-U on Wiki Game Guides if you want to look us up. And so let's talk about the format, what we want to do. We wanted to try something that was new and different. We'll let Dan and John have their banter because that's what they're good at. They're good at their drunken exploits and talking about how their day was. And then we wanted to do something that was much more tied into gaming, a lot more in-depth analysis. Because they do, they do talk a lot about games, obviously, on their podcast, because that's their business. That's what they do. But as they talk about games so much, you probably get more of the in-depth analysis in their drink-alongs or walkthrough videos. So on the podcast, it's more of sort of a casual mention or a rating. So I think here we get the chance to really not cover maybe as, as wide a range of things, but really go in-depth on certain topics. Right. We want to take some of the biggest news pieces about games coming out. We don't want to necessarily cover the small things or the latest things like release dates or some kind of breaking news. We want to take some news articles that were released maybe a little while ago about top uh, game releases and want to investigate them thoroughly. And we're going to try and ask the questions that you can't necessarily answer, but it's going to cause a lot of debate, a lot of questioning, a lot of discussion. And as this is the the Comcast, the community podcast, we're definitely here to cater to you guys. We're here to try and be your voice, but at the same time, we'd like you guys to talk to us. So I think going forward, maybe starting either in the the second episode or the third, whenever you guys can get it into us, I think we're going to post an email address here, and you can also probably find us on the forums. We'd like you guys to email in, post thoughts, write all kinds of ideas, things you'd like to hear us talk about, questions you'd like discussed and if you feel that you've got something that would be really interesting we'd love to hear it right and any ideas for new topics segments we'll definitely try and incorporate them the best we can and if you want to join us we might be able to accommodate that we're trying to operate on roughly a 90 minute scale depending on how much news we think there is how much we can write and also we're going to be bi-weekly on dan and john's off weeks for two chimps so we're trying to make that the pain of having to wait that that extra week a little bit lessen. So, all right. So let's get started. Our first news piece we're going to talk about today is an E3 article. So there's been a report that Microsoft is going to show off a new music service for Xbox at E3, 
and they say it's going to replace Zune, which has been dying a slow and terrible death. Ever from day one. From day one, and from the uh, brown Zune 30, 30 gigabyte player. Um, it did a decent job with the Zune HD, but really they never announced the successor. Apple was clearly dominant in that market. They just haven't caught up and at I all. I think they really once once they put so much time and effort into Windows Phone, it was really that, that was that was pretty much the the death of the Zune because at at this point Windows phones are essentially. Zune players that do so much more. They incorporate the Zune software. They take all the best parts of the Zune without the clunky form factor and the ewness of a Zune. <laughs> and I, we think this is going to be part of their new unified ecosystem strategy. Now, I've uh, been able to use the Windows 8 preview for a bit now, and I can tell you that there's this music app, and it's not branded anything, but it's got a very Xboxy look to it. With, especially with their new tiles interface. Though to be fair, I'm not at this point. I'm not even sure we can call it Xboxy because I think Xbox is really just the first to get the tile interface. And Metro, see, yeah, exactly. Metro would be the better. Metro would be the better term because I think as we see towards the end of this year and into 2013, we're going to see across all devices they're going to start rolling out the the Metro interface with the release of Windows 8 and Windows Phone 8 and Windows 8 for tablet. Right, so this this new service is going to be codenamed Woodstock, and wonder we're wondering if it could call, be called Xbox Music because Xbox is their best consumer brand. It's the one they actually Microsoft actually has some goodwill with. Windows favorite whipping post, Zune obviously as we talked about is, dead in the gutter. Yeah, just absolutely a horrible um, name that's got a lot of stigma attached to it. But Xbox, X Xbox really it hits across the spectrum. You've got the You've got the frat boy with his friends in his college dorm. You've got the the gamer singing at home on Friday night with his Mountain Dew gamer fuel. You've got the 20-something, 30-something young professional coming home from a hard day's work, getting some stress out playing the game. And it just, it's that wide variety of customers, a huge con consumer base there, that I think would be the best reason for them to call it Xbox Music because it can be identified by so many people. Right. I just want to mention really quickly that all the questions we're asking, we're posing to you while we may be discussing it, we're actively asking you, the community, to think about the same question and comment on it. So, I think this this launch, or this uh, supposed launch, fits into the news that Microsoft recently announced that said more time was spent not gaming on Xbox than gaming. And you've seen this sort of, I think, even since early last year when they started talking about the Xbox as a complete multimedia machine, not just a gaming device. You saw this with the release of Netflix and Hulu on uh, the 360, as well as the Zoom music streaming and video streaming, which they sort of they were trying to take on directly Apple TV as well as other things, Google TV and other multimedia things like uh, Roku or other various home multimedia things that allow people to stream video, see pictures, listen to music, and I think going back, this is really, I think this is going to be Microsoft's approach to the Xbox going forward. Not necessarily getting rid of gaming, but I think gaming is definitely going to take a uh, uh, the, the subset, yeah, subset, the, the, the like the backseat, right? Going and forwards. Microsoft has you mentioned a couple services: Netflix, Hulu Plus. Microsoft has really amped up their offerings. They've got HBO Go, 
They're doing Comcast Xfinity, which Dan and John have posted first impressions for. They've implemented YouTube, iHeartRadio, Verizon Fios, TV. Verizon, yeah, Verizon Fios, ESPN. ESPN. So, I mean, they are really trying to make this an incredibly full-featured thing. Last.fm, Slacker, all these services. And then here's a question we want to pose. Do you think this is all in preparation for launching the next Xbox, the Xbox V Next? I personally don't ascribe to calling it the 720 because... Yeah, it's that it seems sort of like a an odd name. I mean, to be fair, 360. It, it came out. It came, yeah, it came out. Of, it came out of nowhere. I guess you could say originally. So why not continue the trend? But I think I I, I personally just I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be the 720. But I'm I'm not sure uh, that this is prepping the waters for the shift. I think that shift. You know, you've, you've heard some you've heard some industry experts saying the next generation is only a year away, two years away. Yeah, I think it may be even farther than that because as they just released the uh, the the slim Xbox 360, which is almost I guess you could call it 360 point like 2.0, the newer newer version of the 360 without being a new model. But I think this is just adding further features to the 360, maybe as a, a long term way of sliding into it. But I I definitely don't think this is going to be a, well. Okay, we've got this. And, oh, now we have this. All right, so that's that's an interesting opinion. I personally think that this is getting ready to grease the rails. And we're going to talk a lot about next-gen consoles and whether we think certain things are being prepared for them or how they're going to make the transition. And so with that, let's transition to our second article. IGN had an opinion post or kind of a question uh, soliciting uh, soliciting answers or responses saying, will the next-gen consoles fail? And this is based on rumors that they're going to make a huge initiative to try and get rid of used games, that they're going to really lock down the system, and that generally a lot of the features that we're taking for granted, they're going to really lock down, like Apple-style almost. Well, we can all we can hope it's not going to be Apple-style because... That would be, be pretty bad. Right. So, disk drives, let's jump right into the biggest rumor here, and the one that's caused arguably the most controversy. Disk drives and used games. Will it, won't it? I think, well, we'll go ahead and start with disk drives. I don't think there's any way to get around not having a disk drive. I think you have to have a disk drive in the device. But see, let's let's put these two things together. You say the next gen of consoles is... Two, three years I, I off. Put it two, yeah, two or three years off. Okay, we've already got cloud saves, and Games on Demand is getting more robust. We've got great services like Steam, which have shown us, all these things have shown us, we can stream games reliably uh, down, and that disk drives aren't necessarily as necessary strictly as it, they used to be. But I can counter your point there, and I'll start off by addressing Steam. I am. I've been. A, I've been a PC gamer many years. Started off, I don't know, ten, eleven years ago when I was a little kid playing Age of Mythology, Age of Empires on my Windows ninety eight. But I, as far as Steam goes, it's a wonderful service. I love it. If you don't have internet or if you don't have a fast internet connection, you're absolutely screwed when it comes to Steam because if all your games are linked to Steam and they have to be able to connect to Steam in order to play. 
if for whatever reason you turn on your computer and you can't connect to the internet and you didn't set your Steam account to offline before doing that, then you can't access your games. Whereas I've had this happen to me before where on my desktop didn't have a, a Wi-Fi card in it and my ethernet cable got busted. And so I was trying to play some of my games because I couldn't couldn't surf the internet, couldn't do any of those other things, finish my work, was trying to release some stress, play some games, have some fun. But get on get on a Steam, I couldn't open up Empire Total War, which I go ahead and put that out there. I'm a huge Total War fan, huge strategy game fan. So I tried to start playing Empire Total War and Steam told me can't connect to the server and it's uh, try restarting in offline mode. However, you can't set it to offline mode if you can't connect to the internet. So I think that's something, a problem that's going to be faced by the consoles at large is if they're not connected to something like Xbox Live or PSN or what have you, if you don't have a quick, reliable internet service, then you have to have a disk drive in order, or in order to access your media, access your game, which is one of the reasons I think services like OnLive, which are these streaming games, which I think personally are really neat, I don't think they're picking up as quickly as they could have because it's limited to those people who have a pretty decent internet connection. Right. But in response to that, EA is halfway there for making us pay for used games with their $10 initiative. You buy a used game, EA game, and you pay $10 for online access. This was like the online pa pass for um, Mass Effect 3. The ser for servers for Mass Effect 2. Online pass for Battlefield 3. Mm -hmm. Things like that. And then it's also interesting to think about if we continue the supposition two to three years in the future will be the next generation of consoles, will our internet have advanced to the point where it's capable of handling these downloads? Could we conceivably see six gigabytes or ten gigabytes maybe the new games because we're starting to encroach on two, three discs is the norm? Will, will our internet be able to stream that reliably and quickly? Will our latency decrease? Yeah, and I, I, I remember seeing an article, I think this was sort of mid to late last year, it was about Google installing fiber optic cables, so I think it was, was it Kansas City? It was a city in Kansas. Yeah, like, city in, it, it was somewhere, somewhere in the Midwest, it was just the city was chosen almost at random, or it was a contest, I can't remember. I think it was a contest. Yeah. I think they renamed their town Google temporarily to just try and get Google to... And so Google laid down these fiber optic cables to sort of, ex almost. it's almost like an experiment, use the town as sort of a, a guinea pig, to see what would happen and how how computer systems and everything would respond and react if they were given this, this incredible bandwidth and this incredible speed. And I'm wondering, do you think, seeing the results of this test, do you think the infrastructure could be laid down in only two or three years' time? If only Comcast and AT&T were at the level of experimentation and creativity as Google. That's all I have to say about that. I mean, seriously. Getting your jabs in early. Yeah. All right, so let's, let's go on to the next question that's posed. What do we really need at this point? We've got decent graphics. I mean... Well, careful okay. there, Simon. Well, you know, you, you, you're always going to have the... The, the fanboy or the, the the computer gamer is like, more, more, more. Give me that bigger graphics card. Give me the SLI. Give me the crossfire. Yeah. Give me all this stuff. Give me more, more, more. And so I don't think we're ever going to hit the point where we're satisfied because we're a consumer culture. We always want the newest, best thing. And as long as companies want to make money, they're going to keep developing that right. newest, so, best thing. All right. So let's talk about this on two different propositions. We have hardware, which... 
obviously could always get much better by leaps and bounds. And then we've got software. Now, software can be iterated on the current platform, which is what we're seeing with PlayStation and Xbox. I mean, if you think um, about it, how many times has Xbox been minorly updated or, in, in several cases, majorly updated, yeah, completely redesigned? We've went from Blades to the new, new Xbox. Xbox experience to kind of a midway point where they were all flat, and now we've got the Metro Tile interface. So what else could we throw in here? I mean, insane graphics, obviously. We've got a smaller footprint, maybe, if we could shrink it down some. Well, and I think as far as fitting it into your living room, there's always going to be that, well, can we minimize it? It's, the, it's the, the whole cell phone thing for a while before we ran into the iPhone, was how small can we make this? And so I think we may see the same thing with consoles, because in people's push for simplicity and less cables, combining everything into an HDMI, getting that unified sound mixer for your multimedia setup, I think people want that one device, that one little box, small as possible, so you can just put it on a shelf, put it somewhere where it's out of the way, you can play it, and I think if that happens, it'll also lead to not only just a smaller footprint size-wise, but also economic and environmental, because as you know, for both the PlayStation and the Xbox, we've got these massive bricks. Arguably a lot more for the Xbox than for well, the PlayStation. That's fair enough. For the Xbox, <laughs> it's almost half its size, this brick. And in the new the new Xbox, they've developed the, um, some... Six power, yeah, much they, well, better they, than they, the... They've, they've somehow developed the technology to turn it off. I'm wondering what was stopping them before. But that now it doesn't have the same phantom draw that older Xbox models have yep. where it's literally like powering a refrigerator <laughs> just to have it turned off. And so I think moving forwards, I think we will definitely see it smaller, more energy efficient. Right. And I think graphics and cooling, hard drive space, mm -hmm. I think all these things we'll see. Yeah, know. so let's, let's go on like 10 years down the road. Let's say maybe one console generation removed from now like what could we see an all-in-one tv console and set-top box it's kind of my dream this this one flat tv where you can put your well i guess at this point it probably won't be a cd we'll probably well that's up to the the various factions of the the, the blu-ray cd war but whichever disc format or future format wins out you place your your media into the tv you've got a, one controller remote that works for your TV viewing, your gaming, your multimedia access, and so all those things in one device, and I would be incredibly happy with that. I think what I would like to see is we've seen at CES um, and other tech conferences, LG and Samsung and Panasonic release these like razor thin, super thin so, TVs. So cool. Maybe, I, I mean, I think I could definitely see you continue to have the rail thin maybe scaled up AMOLED display for unbelievable crispness and clarity and, I, and color and then on the base you've got integrated throughout the base of it a set-top box console disk drive thing and I, I almost wonder you've seen these these mock-ups sometimes even prototypes of these these super super thin keyboards that are almost like a piece of cloth that are flexible you move them around I'm almost wondering how far is it into the future before we get a TV screen that's more like a set of curtains where you can sort of pull it out and push it back. I think I think that would be pretty neat. Yeah. I mean, if they kept, if they flexed out straight and it was like more of a wraparound experience, 
Like it went out, curved around maybe a little less than 180 degrees all around you. So That'd be really I, interesting. Because I think that's something that's been really neat the last 10 years has been the, the push for home theater systems and surround sound, 5.1 Dolby. Yep. 7.1 Dolby surround sound. You've got that, that aural experience all around you, but your TV is still it's a rectangle. It's a box in front of you that you're looking straight at. It. I think your uh-huh. idea is actually pretty neat if it's that 180 thing. You've got your peripheral... You got yeah. On. How soon is it until they license IMAX for the home? I mean, that's that's pretty much what we're discussing here. And maybe even if we don't see this all-in-one thing, what we definitely could see is gaming consoles. Hopefully, with scaling down, smaller processors, more efficient, we could see consoles conceivably like what the Roku XD and Apple TV are now. These just hockey puck sized things. Yeah, and I, I know I have the uh, the Roku HD two downstairs in my basement. We use it for our, our Netflix streaming and for Hulu and Amazon On Demand, all these video streaming services. And it is really neat that I can just switch over from from cable to the Roku and just have all this multimedia available right there. I have the same thing available on my Xbox upstairs, which sit down, oh, well, I don't want to watch TV anymore. Oh, I don't want to play Xbox anymore. I'll go on Netflix. I'll go on Hulu. I can do all these things from this one device. And I think, to your point, if it's not all in one device, I, I, I definitely think it will be, without maybe the TV component, I definitely think all this stuff is going to be in one device. Not even 10 years. I think this is something we'll see in the next two to three years, especially as definitely with the next console generation, potentially in the latest iteration of the current Xbox or the current PS3. All right, so um, let's see. Will we see motion gaming come standard in the next generation of consoles? I mean, Microsoft has had a runaway success with their Kinect, PlayStation, it. yeah, obviously uh, slightly less so. With the, with, Wii. The, with the Move. Yeah, with the Move. Wii U is going to be this awkward like half step kind of in between these generations but that's okay we've always been the awkward redheaded stepchild <laughs> of, the, of the gaming community anyway and like we use still a silly proposition to try and compete effectively with the ipad we all know integrating the screen in and the screen is the motion thing and they're trying i mean uh, they're what they're trying to do with the wii u i think is a bit foolish because they're they're and they're clutching at too many straws with one device because they're trying to go after the iPad tablet market with a controller. They're trying to go after the PS3, the Xbox 360 sort of market, that sort of more hardcore uh, gamers because it's, it's, never, it's never had that hardcore gaming credibility. They're going after that market, the faster processor, higher graphics capabilities. But because they're spreading out doing all these different things, I think they're stretched too thin And I don't think they can actually do any of it, really. And I also want to comment on that, that they are, by doing this so early, they are handicapping themselves by putting in this generation's hardware. Intel basically just released their new rev of Ivy Bridge with brand new, super efficient, and smaller quad-core processors. And that's conceivably maybe another code name, Intel code name, down the road. That's what Xbox and PS3 will implement. And it will just leapfrog it entirely, and the Wii U is suddenly be going to become be op- completely obsolete. Obsolete from day one. So so quickly. But uh, to our original question, is it going to come standard now? Like that, you'd be unable to get a SKU without them. Will the Xbox with Connect come standard? And there's no way you can divorce the two. I think. I, I think going forwards, I think especially in the next generation. But like I said earlier, potentially in a. a uh, another Redux 
of the same 360. I think we could see it come standard because the Kinect, it only really has the, it only really has those three little cameras on the front. It's relatively large because it has all of its computing hardware and all those things in its package, but it only really has those three cameras, which is what it needs. I think you could conceivably put that on the front of an Xbox 360, somehow maybe enlarge them somehow, because I know it does have the, the pivoting joint so it could conceivably see more of the room. I think you somehow you you maybe project it out slightly or widen it. I think you could somehow fit it into the 360. I say it still needs to be standalone because if you're keeping the Xbox in the bottom cabinet, you're going to want to trail it up to the top of the TV. I, I think that it's kind of it's 60/40 maybe, and our reader, our listeners can comment on this whether the Xbox is actually out in plain sight and could conceivably be used. Well, but, but I feel like the lateral motion left right also needs to be taken into account, you and, know. And just it's more dynamic and gives you more flexible options to have it as a standalone device. And I I can go ahead and agree with you on that. Maybe they'll release some periphery that if you have it somewhere where it's not at the best angle, you can sort of redirect the camera somehow. I'm not sure how that would work or if they would do it. However, I can say to your point if it's somewhere in the bottom cabinet one of our good friends, who will not be named, was not very smart in his placement of his 360. He placed it in a bottom cabinet and fried it. So I'm not sure for any any console gamers for any amount of time, I don't think they would necessarily have it where it's impossible, like impossible to access it. No, that's fair enough. Okay, so my personal wish list for the next generation of consoles and... You guys can comment on this if you want, and please do. My wish is, I know it's completely infeasible because the storage spaces are just too small for this. I want SSDs in consoles. I am a firm believer. I am a convert to using SSDs. I've had one in my laptop for uh, almost a year now. And when my first SSD died and I went back to my HDD backup, I was like, oh my god, you've got to be kidding me. Really? I mean, I've gotten used to it. It was really, it was quite funny. He was, he was almost, almost handicapped without it. He was just sort of sitting there, twitching and muttering to himself, "What, what, what can I do without this?" It's just, it was, it was, it was rather bizarre to see him. It was you know. an interesting two weeks to watch, or for Alex to watch me. I'm sure. Yeah. But Alex, you got anything? To- yeah, I'm, I'm, for me, going forwards. I I agree. I think it'd be cool to see SSDs in there. And your point that they wouldn't be large enough. I mean, the the Xbox only has 200 gigabytes. I think maximum. It's 200, 220, 240, something like that. That that right. range is the is the maximum size. And I mean, they do have SSDs in that size. Granted, they are they are they would be prohibitively expensive. They cost you a thousand dollars. Prohibitively expensive now. However, into the next console generation, several years down the road. I think potentially, also if they're buying it in bulk, it would reduce the cost. It's feasible, maybe not likely, but it's possible. However, as far as my own personal wish list for the next set of consoles, mine's, I guess, less concrete. I, going back to our earlier discussion, I definitely am a, a fan, of, a proponent of the smaller size media device, being able to place it wherever you want instead of having to move this this rather large box, box shoebox. Yeah. And the Xbox 360, I think, does a better job of this than the sort of strangely curved PS3. 
but having to move that around and find a place that it fits instead of being able to fit it in where you like, I think going forward, that's going to be something that will be more important, especially if they're going to try and penetrate the home theater market. But then on top of that, I think also either more fans or some kind of water cooling, I think it needs to be quieter. And I think this iteration of the 360 has done a much better job. The Xbox 360 Slim is a ton quieter. I remember yep. I got uh, one of these newer Xboxes for Christmas, uh, if it was a year ago or the two years ago, whenever it was right after it came out. And I just, I was blown away by how quiet it was by comparison. Yeah, I mean, I've got one of the last elites that was before the refresh. I got the Modern Warfare 2 Special Edition, and I've, I've compared it. It's it's no contest. And However, while I was blown away when I first got it, I think as all technology, it's sort of, its glory fades over time. And here I am, I don't know what it is, a year down the road, however long it's been, and I I'm starting to hear it where before it was it was silent. I didn't hear it, and so I think this may be just giving giving more credit to my earlier point of we're never satisfied. But I think in the next generation it will definitely have to be quieter, especially if, like I said, they're trying to penetrate that home media market. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'd like to go back briefly to SSDs. You, there's an option on Xbox to download your games to the hard drive, and that boosts your loading times by a little bit, but the main reason is that it doesn't have to read the disc at all. It's just that the disc is there so that the Xbox knows you bought the game, and it's a lot quiet, so it's a lot quieter. I think that SSDs, if you installed that game to the SSDs, man, loading times would be, I think, almost out the door. Like, because the read-write speeds on SSDs to processors is so unbelievably fast compared to HDDs. And I'm not really sure what kind of file system is used on PS3, Xbox, but I don't know if they're fragmented, defragmented. As a computer power user, that's a huge thing for me. But certainly, SSDs don't even suffer from that problem, so it would, I think it would just be an enormous advantage, and all gamers would rejoice if that were to be implemented. Come standard. I know. I definitely would. Yeah. So, as we were talking earlier, the more, I want more graphics processor everything all of those things are necessary not a wish list but necessary <laughs> for our next topic which is the updates and release on the news for crisis 3 crisis 3 yes can it run crisis that's almost a meme now it kind of predates the whole meme explosion but crytek gave a nod to it because one of the first or the first achievement you get in crisis 2 is it can it run crisis so i think they, that, that kind of tongue-in-cheek humor i always love to see but i think it's it's insane and a credit to the to the three brothers who started crytek over in germany that even to this day, 2012, you know, we're, we're almost halfway through the year, give it another month and we're just about there, this game, the original Crisis from 2007, is still graphical benchmark for many gaming computers. Right, it is. So, let's talk about that. Crisis 2, I played, beat on the Super Soldier difficulty. It was an interesting game, different spin on kind of your generic FPS, uh, like Call of Duty style. Kind of a mix between Call of Duty and Halo. You've got, on one hand, the super soldier that can kind of run around and take a bit more damage. But then, on the other hand, you've also got the hide-behind-cover, kind of aim-down-the-sight business. But then I would also add to that, not to anger any of the Crisis fans, maybe a little bit of a James Bond or a Sam Fisher aspect to it. 
it's it, it's almost like a stealth game in some regards, where you've got the nano suit uh, as the cloak. Super Soldier difficulty was pretty much just cloak, regen, repeat. I was pretty sure that by the end I was hearing cloak engaged inside my head because I was just using it so much. It's all you do. Well, you te- hardly te- technically in the game you were. <laughs> yeah. Just maximum armor. Actually, that one you didn't use uh, almost at all. All right, so what about Crisis 3? New York is apparently the Amazon rainforest now, and apparently weapons have declined to the point where we are now using compound bows and less so guns. Is this going to be the new Elder Scrolls? (laughs) I think... uh... Bethesda should watch out. They thought Notch was a threat to their copyrights. They should probably check up on this. But in all seriousness, I think this may be uh, going back to Crytek's roots with Far Cry, which was pretty similar to Crisis 2 in terms of format, but it was in that, that, that jungle setting. Didn't have the nano suit. I mean, even Crisis, the original one, took place on a yeah, like, Pacific I, island. Yeah, right. So I think we, we shouldn't be too... I'm not going to say weirded out, but too concerned by this location, because I think Crisis 2 was almost more the anomaly taking place in downtown New York, as opposed to some far-off tropical island in the case of Far Cry or Crisis, or African warlords territory in Far Cry 2. Mm-hmm. And I can certainly appreciate that, because this was an interesting experiment. I played Crisis 2, played it for several weeks and finished it on Super Soldier Difficulty. That was in New York City. You always have to you know, then, bring up the difficulty you beat it on. Right. Then Okay, well, then I beat Modern Warfare 3 on Veteran. You, you, you achieved it for. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I beat Modern Warfare 3, or I played Modern Warfare 3, also in New York, and I immediately just stared at it, and I saw, wow, there is really a huge difference. But then what then struck me later was how similar they were in... The basically the strategy and the running around and I think it's good, it's to Crytek's credit that they're trying to yank it back out of the uh, dirty, gritty, pavement concrete shooters and out of the Call of Duty reach Yeah, and I think one of our one of our personal favorite game reviewers is Yahtzee Kroshaw over on the, the Escapist, and I remember I think it was his, it was either his review of Modern Warfare 2 or it might have been Battlefield Bad Company 2 where it was dust, 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 gun, dust and that dirty, gritty aspect we've seen it just get more and more and more sort of obscure what you can see, fighting for cover, but it's sort of chest high wall, hide, dust, shoot, move up to next, chest high wall, yeah. dust, shoot. And so Mass Effect has now kind of fallen to that. Gears of War is the biggest the, perpetrator of the, this syndrome. The, the, the progenitor of that. <laughs> yeah, arguably. But I think, like you said, it is, it is to Christ's credit that they're not sort of hiding behind graphical... They're, they're probably displaying what they have because I think this dust is almost it's a way of hiding what's there because one of the greatest things about Crisis that it's had since day one was it has these crazy draw distances you just see for miles in the game you just see oh that mountain oh that's really far away how can I see that that's something you're, they did in 2007 that you're only sort of you're sort of seeing that now in games like The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim where you're surrounded by all these mountains like oh I want to walk up there I can do that 2007 Five years ago, you could do that in Crisis. So I think it's really, it's their strength, and I'm, I think I would take, if I were them, I would definitely take a sense of pride in that accomplishment. Right. All right, so let's talk about the story a bit. 
It takes place about 24 years after Crisis 2, which is interesting because I thought your character might be getting a little old it's a bit by of a, then. a bit of a jump. I mean, if, they, if you have the suit, maybe it's... <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like integrated into your skin, maybe it's doing all sorts of weird things to you. Well, because if you remember at the beginning of 2, you had to you had to kill the former... Uh, yeah, you know, the, the per- person uh, wearing what you call it. it. Occupant wearer? I'm not really sure what the, what the proper term for that would be. Yeah. So I think it's that deeply tied into your nervous system and, and who you are uh, as you, like your physical being that I think it probably could do something at least to like, prolong your life. Right, and so the Cell Corporation, which is basically like this giant evil whatever mega corporation, generic number one, building like giant Stephen King-esque domes all over, and this is basically Crytek's way of shoveling in, oh yeah, we're going to, each of these domes has a different environment for an unspecified reason, which we're sure will become a major element in the plot. Almost makes me think of being a little kid playing Mario. Oh, World 2. Oh, World 3. I'm <laughs> jumping over dolphins. Ooh, now I'm swimming. Now I'm with volcano people. It's all sort of, you know, different. And I mean, not, not to take away from it, I think it could be interesting. And it's definitely, it's a very nice way to vary gameplay and to keep it interesting for the gamer because you get into hour 5, hour 6, hour 7 of... Cod the whatever next, and you're okay running down this alley now. Running down this same alley, ooh, it's got a little bit of different dressing on it. But I mean, it's fun, but it does get a bit repetitive. So I think this could be a maybe not go so far as to say ingenious because, as you said, it could be a reference to Stephen King. So if I say it's been done before, but I do think it's at least a a nice way to mix it up and vary it for the gamer, right? And like I've said, one when I think of overgrown cities. When I think of stealth action, I think immediately of that one level from the original Modern Warfare that was kind of crawling through Chernobyl. That was so unbelievably fun, and And that was a very interesting shift for the game. Yeah, and exactly, so different from the rest of the game. And that's that's sort of the thing I'm talking about, where you you can keep the same sort of gameplay, and you can try and mix up the environment, but that's not gonna change it. But if they can somehow Incorporate different aspects of the gameplay or change up how the game has to be played based on these different environments, like say one's cold or something, so you have to move from oh, areas I of warmth to areas I of warmth. that gameplay mechanic. You know, a la Lost Planet or something. Or you go to something where it's jungles or trees or somehow where it's it's vertically integrated, so you have to somehow super use, jump or use whatever. super jump and move heights or whatever to acquire some sort of tactical advantage. If you mix it up that way, that's that's what I'm saying earlier. That's why I think it'd be very interesting. They use that super jump. Uh, Dan and John might avoid a ton of ladder drinks, theoretically. So, we want to see Crytek maybe try and get away from this dangerous area that they're reaching, which is, okay, here's the next crisis. All right, you know what that means. Cloak, regen, repeat. In this much the same way we do for COD, which is like, Oh, here's the next COD. All right, let's get down behind the wall, poke out, aim down the sight so it locks onto the guy and shoot. And I think Crisis isn't necessarily as susceptible to this because I think COD really opens itself up for this when it, this is Call of Duty 2012, Call of Duty 2013, Call of Duty 2014. When they do it in these sort of these yearly annual installments, they almost make it seem like it's disingenuous in a way. It's like, here's more, you whore. Like, take your money. It's like, it's like, it's just it. Yeah. I, I think crisis. To your to your point, they should try and avoid that, but I don't think they're nearly nearly as vulnerable. 
All right, so um, the planned release date is sometime in Q2 2013. Now, this goes back to our previous discussion about when the, both of us think the next generation of consoles will come out. I personally would be interested to see if, if the consoles come out a bit sooner, will this be one of the first cross-platform games for the Xbox uh, 360 and the Xbox V-Next, the PS3, and the PS4? Just like Call of Duty 3 was one of the titles that bridged, say, the original Xbox and the 360. And if, if you end up being right and I'm wrong and it's closer to your approximation of when it comes out, I would definitely be very interested to see if they do this because depending on what sort of hardware and what sort of media input device they use for the next Consoles, next console yeah. generation, I think could be either very difficult to try and create this similar experience on potentially two very different devices, or it could be made very easy depending on how vast the the jump in hardware and how great the stylistic jump is. Yeah. And so um, what we've seen so far is there's a brief, brief debut trailer, and now they've released a slightly longer gameplay trailer, but it's just really frenetic, like you only get half a second per each scene, most of them involving the bow, uh, as a matter of fact. But right now, it's just a walking advertisement for CryEngine 3, but not a whole lot more. I mean, I think we've covered basically the entirety of what we know so far, and we've kind of speculated a bit on it. So with that said, and talking about a lot of HD and good graphics... Can Halo CE Anniversary start a trend of major franchise HD refreshes? And I'm not talking like Mario or anything like that, where there's the same Mario that we make again and again and again and again. Not the Nintendo strategy of, oh, which character should we pull out of the box this quarter to make a new game for? And I mean, when you're saying start a new trend, if this does continue, I'm not necessarily sure we can say Halo CE Anniversary is the first. I think... Going back to 2010, 2011, there was the GoldenEye 007 remake, first for the Wii, and then followed the next year on the 360 and PS3. And a lot of people were hesitant going into that, but they not only updated the graphics as they did in Halo, but they also added some new maps, added a little bit of new content. And I think that could be the formula going forwards. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. I mean... What if old classic titles like Call of Duty 1 and 2 were given graphics of MW3 or whatever it's going to be next year, like Black Ops 2, Modern Warfare 4? Would people buy them? I mean, would you guys buy them? And would you pay, I mean, what was the reduced price point that Halo CE cost? Was it $40? I think it was somewhere around 40 Or was it 50 Of course, we're um, no matter what we say, we are going to be correct in the comments. And, and we'd love to hear from you guys. Like we said... So we'd love to hear from you guys. Email us, whatever you think. Love us, hate us. Talk about the weather. (laughs) Weather, might delete that. But whatever, send it to us. We'd love to hear from you. And especially incorporate your thoughts and ideas into here. Right, we'll probably try and do a a reader segment on our next uh, edition. Briefly going back to this week and then moving on to new stories. So, like you were just saying, Alex, you know, GoldenEye added a couple of extra features and a bit more content, like Halo did with uh, adding the terminals and the skulls and a bit more backstory through that arc. Is that enough? 
Is that plus maybe a reduced price point enough to entice you? Well, I think that coupled with the the unpriceable nostalgia for you know for any game, I think those together. Oh, and you know, Nintendo have shown to no end how much they can milk nostalgia. Exactly. So I think if you're careful about it, I think that could that could definitely be not only a, a successful business practice, but I think an enjoyable one for everyone involved. Yeah, and it makes things devs a lot happier that they don't really have to do anything new. They can just remake old things and people will eat it up. So I personally have a list of games that I would love to see and play in today's graphics. I know Alex shares a lot of these uh, with me. One of them is Knight, the original Star Wars RPG series, Knights of the Old Republic. And yes, I do know the Old Republic is out. But it, it's not quite the same. And, you know, looking at this, this is really, this is Bioware at its best. I mean, you saw Mass Effect was incredible. This predates Mass Effect, maybe even sets it up a bit. But I think as a Star Wars fan growing up, was, this was this was really this was the game that got me into into R- was, RPGs, and yeah. I was just blown away by the quality of the storytelling, in-depth narratives, the character development, everything about it. I thought was just beautiful. And however, going back and playing it, it doesn't necessarily look as good as it is. And so I think right. with HD reskinning of it, maybe adding if in some get, new content and features, I think it could be incredible. I mean, I would like to see like old Republic graphics, and then. Maybe the new Bioware things, like Bioware has always been good for storytelling, they can add some more content. Bioware has marked themselves as different decisively in the RPG arena by providing dialogue for everything. I mean, Old Republic, MMO, RPG, completely dialogue-based. And you see, this is going back to even even in, this, in the Old Republic, I think it was released in 2003, and it was fully voiced, which is not necessarily the norm. You see a game like Morrowind which I think was released the same year, which was almost entirely text-based. There was there were some voices, but you could argue that the size makes it impossible for it to be fully voiced, but Old Republic is a pretty big game as well. But something else that I'd like to see that I think would be really interesting and that Bioware especially has made themselves really good at and has marked themselves out as being very good at is DLC. I think this extra content, this added content, we're not going to start the whole argument on the disc, not on the disc, but just DLC, I think, could be a really interesting way to reinvigorate the game beyond just adding on that, that HD reskinning. Mm-hmm. I would like to add um, that I played KOTOR 2. I really loved it, and one of the major controversies and things was there was apparently a whole lot of content that was cut from the end. I mean, there were huge amounts of planets, huge amounts of backstory, huge amounts of character interaction in KOTOR 2 that was uh, cut, and there have been several initiatives to try and restore it, but I would really like to see what the game really could have been had it not been yeah. rushed for Christmas deadline. Yeah, because as, as we've seen, it, it, it was it was definitely rushed. It pushed out the door to try and get in time for Christmas tree, which I will admit I'm partially responsible because I did get that game for Christmas. But I think seeing what Obsidian can do when given time to properly develop a game, Fallout New Vegas was a wonderful game, incredibly well done, taking the the Fallout 3 engine and adding new content and adding this whole new storyline. They handled that entirely by themselves and they were given the time to do it. And I think I think they probably, given their history, they probably did the same thing with KOTOR 2, but they didn't have time to pull it all together. And so to your point, Simon, I definitely think it would be awesome 
to see all that stuff pulled together and maybe release it as director's cut or something right. like that. Uh, the next one on our list, on our combined list, is Star Wars Battlefront. I've been waiting since 2007 for Star Wars Battlefront 3, and I have still yet to see it materialize. Actually, actually, in a pretty nerdy way, Simon, going back, this is actually this is how we became friends. It was actually we sat down. Uh, I was at a new school, and this was your second year at this school. Yeah. Uh, and you know, we were in English class together. We sat next to each other. We were writing some report about just something we like to do, and you wrote a report about playing, uh, I think it was Battlefront 2, and I read it and I said, oh, that's really cool. I like that game too. Yep. Look at us now. Yeah, like exactly. Seven years later. So, so, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, what, what, how do I describe it? It's still one of the very, very few four-player co-op games there is, and there was... Well, a, careful, I think you have to say four-player co-op against... Uh, against, yeah, against an AI, AI enemy AI. and with AI teammates. Right. I mean, like, yeah, Mass Effect is kind of there now, but it, you can. I think, see, I think the, the only, only real example we have right now is something like Left 4 Dead, where you're sort of yep. four-player co-op against those enemies. But I think, especially something that I I really loved about Battlefront 2, which was my favorite thing, were the space battles and just that sort of mm-hmm. run up, get in a vehicle, go out, shoot, land, and then also just the the wide scale of the battles. And to Dan and John, I don't know whether Lucas is responsible for this, but if he canceled it or whatever, there was an almost infinite amount of untapped potential that was in that game. And you saw it just a tiny bit with the PC version where they had X, what they called XL battles, 64 v 64 players on the map at a time. Which is crazy, because you, you think about it, that was actually that was a selling point. I can't remember the name of the game, uh, but it was, it was I think it was a year ago or something. And was it Battlefront 3 that allowed you to... No, but it, it was... 64 players? It I might, think it, it was. It might have been that, where the, one of their one of their major selling points was just these massive battles. And you look, they had done it a couple years before, but didn't get any, any of the same press attention. And I think with the massive scale of things that are there in the Star Wars universe, I mean, it's one of the, the largest... Yeah. Extended universe, all these different media, all these things that you can draw from. I think you can create an excellent game out of any of those things. Being able to draw them together into one game, I think, would be like I think awesome. the yeah the the gameplay and the game engine was so seriously limited by the Xbox PS2 generation. I mean, they tried to recreate the battles like Geonosis best they could, and if you remember from the movies, there were about 10 billion on each side and. To be honest, when you actually played it, the map was pretty small, and uh, it, the, felt small. it looked very sparse. You Snipers had a lot of room to operate, and what I really want is snipers to not have a lot of room to operate. I want it to be close, and I want there to be huge amounts of numbers of people. Well, I was a sniper, so I, then, I liked that. Well, but, I, I, but I would agree with you. I like, I like huge amounts of people because it makes it a lot, harder to shoot in, or a lot easier to shoot into a crowd. Um, I mean, <laughs> that and if we had HD graphics on this just the latest hd graphics old republic uh good graphics because i mean well it's, then, it's this uh, this is obviously this is going to spark a debate in the in the comments do you want the the old republic sort of cartoony yeah or do that's you want, true or do you want more serious but, yeah. which I've, I've seen people argue for either side but i think definitely with the prequels <sighs> you know they get so much hate but i think the one thing that was really cool about the prequels was sort of the CG and animation, how realistic a lot of stuff looked, especially the clones. I'm having a, a, my fanboy moment now, but I just I thought the clones were really cool, and seeing something like that where you can control it, 
played out, I think that would be incredible. I keep saying like old Republic graphics because LucasArts obviously is being terribly dumb and they haven't really an- released anything that's that interactive in a while. And Old Republic's really the only thing in recent memory of Star Wars that I can draw to as something that has current generation graphics. And it's also a... That's rather, also a serious it's, problem. It's also rather large, so there's lots of things you can draw from there. Yeah, I know. I mean, you could have an untold amount of planets, and that galactic conquest feature, that aspect of the game, has so much potential. And also... I mean, I mean maybe even if you combine something... There's games before that, like Star Wars Empire at War. Yeah. You know, that had that whole galactic conquest. That was that was basically how the game was, was this, mm-hmm. this map, and you'd go from planet to planet. I you think know, it would have strategy. to be a little sanitized, maybe well, a obviously, little... obviously because it would, like, be on a, it would be on a console. Yeah. But, you know, I think, you know, you can take aspects from that, combine it with Battlefront 2, add new things. Yeah. And I think, I think, I don't think the Battlefront series should be dead. I don't think it right. is. I think there's definitely room to add and grow on that, and hopefully they do. I mean, yeah, seriously, it's... I, I cannot even begin to say, like, space battles, for instance. Set, forget about land battles, space battles... 15 different capital ships on either side. And I also instead have to credit... The, the like one, one, one capital ship and one B2 two frigates. Yeah. Odd. Yeah, um, also, Battlefront I will credit as one of the few games on the original Xbox that had DLC. I mean, it had announced and fairly regular DLC. There was uh, a Kashyyyk map pack that brought the Assault uh, game type, which, if everyone remembers fondly as the All Heroes v. All Heroes. It was awesome. And also, they had a paid ma- uh, paid DLC pack that brought back uh, maybe about four of the maps from the original Star Wars Battlefront and added two new characters. So, I mean, this was a pioneer in a lot of different areas, and I don't think it's really ever been effectively replicated since, and it's a it is a shame that it hasn't been. Yeah, so hopefully. So, see something. bottom line, we love Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, LucasArts needs to bring it back, like, now. Yeah. Get, we'll get our, our, our nerdiness out of the way there. And then, next on that list, I think, Sam, you Con- talked to me this earlier. Continuing with, our hate of LucasArts uh, on this podcast. Mercenaries. Mercenaries, Mercenaries, Mercenaries. That game was awesome. Mercenaries <laughs> 2, Mercenaries 3, where is it? Right. Pandemic went uh, down right after the Saboteur, which was about three years ago. Afterwards, EA announced that they were working on a new game called Mercs, Inc., and we have not seen anything materialize since that one obscure press release. And, I mean, again, there was, this... There was some excitement a couple months ago. People saw pictures of a tank or something in a video, and they thought, oh, well, this will be the big reveal. It turned out it was, I think it was a new Command & Conquer game, but I'm just sort of wondering, it was, it was so successful, it was a well-thought-out game. And yep. add, they added in the multiplayer aspect to it in, in we had a, two. We, we had a ton of fun with that. I, I know, I, yeah, we had a ton of fun. We just ran yeah. around uh, the rich neighborhood, um, hijacked Lamborghinis, and then drove them around, blew them up. And I mean, you think there's all this sort of grew around gameplay, you know, games like Saints Row, well, Grand Theft Auto, and yeah. But it's things like that. And Mercs Two, Mercs Two was sort of, and Mercenaries One, for that matter, was it was the same thing, maybe toned down for the T rating, but. I, I don't I don't see why when Rockstar and I don't know who Saints Row is made by but I think it's THQ yeah actually that sounds right but I, they're able to continue these series I don't see why EA doesn't push forward with this yeah I mean Merc- Mercenaries 2 as uh, we'll all quote Yahtzee again it's airstrikes airstrikes and hooray for airstrikes the game 
that is true, and I think they could add a lot more robustness to the game. And given uh, today what we can achieve today in things like Grand Theft Auto and Saints Row, I don't see why it's not possible for a third um, open-world free-shooter franchise to exist, especially one with uh, as good a history as this one. And especially since it's not competing the same turf war as Saints Row and Grand Theft Auto, because those are both gang-related and sort of inner-city things, whereas Mercenaries is a bit more buried in its layout. Sometimes you're in the jungle, sometimes mountains, you're in the city, you're on the road somewhere, but you're also working for either a company, well, always a company, either owned by yourself or somebody else, depending on which game it is. But I think think there's definitely room. Right, and also, I mean, there was a good... There was some decently good story. I mean, basically, where Mercenaries 2 left off, Fiano, that was your, I think, Australian uh, assistant, said that you were marked, your next destination was India, and depending on which ending you chose, spoiler alert for what, a five-year-old game? Here, bup, 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 stop listening, and now go seven. Okay, so depending on which ending you chose, you could either side with the Chinese, go, go Chinese, or you could side with the what they call the Allied Nations, which is uh, whitewashed, pretty much... Go white people. Um, <laughs> pretty much um, a copy of the UN, and also, like the UN, secretly pretty much controlled by the US. Uh, so, because you were pretty much, your contact was the CIA agent. And so you could either side with one or the other, eventually a nuke got dropped on some HQ, and they got majorly mad at each other. And that's where it left off. So... You had a huge potential there. I mean, talk about a cliffhanger there. And I mean, even if, like they did, uh, between the first mercenaries and the second mercenaries, you you say, well, this span of time happened, this happened, new theater. I mean, you could even do that. You don't necessarily need to connect the two. But I mean, if you look at areas of conflict around the world, especially nowadays, take your pick. Yeah, seriously, India, great. Be on the border of Pakistan. Uh, you know, like, take contracts to find al-Qaeda leaders in Pakistan. Go running through the border. There's Go to, so, Sy- go to Syria. Yeah, you know, exactly. Go, I all, mean, All kinds of things. There's un- unlimited potential for what you could do. Yay, world sucking right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then our, uh, I think, our last one on the list here, although certainly you guys could definitely provide uh, a huge list of other ones that you guys like. We mentioned earlier, Call of Duty. One and two, the thing that started it all. Credit to Infinity Ward, peace be upon them, because they don't really exist anymore. Although they definitely should, because we would all be better for it if they were still making Call of Duty. Yeah, because I mean, you've got not 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 only just Call of Duty one and two, but all the expansion packs. Because even back then, expansion packs they for console games they weren't really like not DLC. It's you went out and bought the extra game, so you had like. Frontline or Big Red Pacific, One, Pacific Assault. Actually, that was that, the that Medal of Honor. Never mind. But Big Red One and uh, whatever. <laughs> That's the only one I can but, remember. Yeah, there's there's all there's all these different sort of side things that maybe roll it all into one game. Right. Do one Call of Duty one complete, and then one Call of Duty two complete. Right. What I did not like about, I mean, I'm a history buff. I liked looking at World War Two and things like that. Call of Duty 1, 2, 3, World at War, they all had various different sides fighting at various different times, often overlapping 
with each other and kind of conflicting with each other. I would love that to be tied into one total seamless experience of like Call of Duty World War II. Here you are from the very beginning to the absolute end. And we, we've seen then, but also the more recent ones, that Call of Duty has no problem jumping around in characters and sides, who you're fighting for, who you are fighting as. And so I think that would definitely facilitate this because you don't necessarily need to rewrite the game to like allow it to do all these things. You just sort of say, well, these are all these chapters with this person and these are all these chapters with this person. You just put them chronologically so you do this and with person A and then you go to person B and then person C and then person A and then person C and then person B. Right. Depending on where they are in the campaign, maybe one person is just sort of like sitting somewhere in the Pacific, not really doing anything. You say like Guadalcanal or something, you're there for an extended amount of time. Say, okay, well, going somewhere else, back to Europe for a minute. Yeah, and then, exactly. Because, you know, Europe was a, a bit more fast-paced in that regard. And so you sort of do Europe, 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 back to the Pacific. And the Pacific usually, when compared to Europe, there was a couple of these grand battles. But the Pacific definitely has these just massive, like, huge invasion, these mm -hmm. massive set pieces. Because yeah. you have all these island invasions. Because you think of, like, D-Day... There was this, like, I mean, and, and to a certain lesser extent, Operation Torch. Um, you have these invasions in Europe. There are these seaborne invasions. But it's one day, not to take anything away from D-Day. I don't want to sound like a dick or anything. Lots of people die there. It's, like, heroic. But you look at the Pacific, and that happened so many times. You've got Okinawa, yeah, Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, yeah. all these different places. And so you could have these massive set pieces in the game, and then you would have cut back to all the Europe maps from, like, mm -hmm. you know, Call of Duty 2. So. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I remember the Call of Duty 2, uh, the D-Day level, it was, like... The Rangers. Yeah, it was, I mean, but I was talking about the graphics. They were pretty poor at this point. I think it was you and maybe two, two boats on either side of you that unloaded and scaled the cliff. I mean, what if we could graphically scale that to pretty much world at war standards so that first invasion of Peleliu I think I mean, is the second yeah. like, thing, like, like something said, like that massive set pieces increasing majorly huge. cinematic huge invasions that would be a definite plus and yes for those I'm aware that there is something called the Call of Duty War Collection that has I think 1, 2, 3 and World at War in that but we're talking about something integrated totally different on a whole different plane i think yeah i mean sure you can you can own all the games but it's 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 not the same as progressing through a campaign you may have to change out discs for like okay well you're moving into part two of this but you're not like okay well i'm going to beat this game and i'm going to switch discs and then i'm going to play this game and you know going back and forth having it organized like this i know simon is in a, you know he's an efficiency buff he's an <laughs> organization buff yep you know having all these things organized you know chrono chronologically set out you can do this this is how it goes I think that would make it not only a lot easier but I think also a lot more enjoyable and I think just a better experience overall alright so let's take a break and we'll come back for our final story and we're back uh, so let's move on to our final topic which is Halo 4 Gasm that's basically the next big title that'll be coming out uh, um, soon. Um, you could say um, Assassin's Creed Three Assassin's is another, Creed 3. another one oh, of those, yeah. those AAA titles, but I think I think Halo Four will probably surpass it purely because Halo is Microsoft's 
baby. It's, yeah. It's their favorite child. Assassin's Creed 3 has always had a PS3 slant to it, exclusive DLC and time DLC and things like that. But Halo is definitely Microsoft's thing in gaming. So, 4 is going to be the start of a new trilogy. And once again, we're going to start talking about when we think the next uh, generation of consoles is going to be released because this is going to be important. This could be uh, the cu- on the cusp of the tra- console generation transition, right. and it probably will be the last one for 360, the last Halo for 360. And we're talking about it's on the cusp. If this if this isn't the last game, then somewhere in the series it will be because the series will be presumably it's not going to turn into a Call of Duty thing every year. Though many people uh, fear that that's what 343 is aiming for. Uh, I don't think that'll happen at least initially. And so I think if you look at the span of time over which uh, the original Halo trilogy took place, we're definitely going to see some sort of console shift there. Right. It was an even three-year spread, I think. 2001, 2004, 2007. So that was pretty nicely timed. I think they got a good cadence there. So if we continue that trend, we're looking at the uh, at Halo 6 in 2021. So if we don't have another console by then... We've I, got problems. We probably never will. Right. And so this depends on... We'll, we'll analyze it from both uh, Alex and my definition of when the next console, or our guess at when the next console will be released. If it's my, gen, my thought, and it's going to be pretty soon, this probably will be the last one for or, the Halo series. Or even like what you were talking about before... It could be a cross-platform title. Now, let's bring up a bit of history here. Halo 2 was originally going to be a 360 title, but it became an Xbox title because they put it out a little faster. Because Halo 2, 04, Xbox, 05. And I guess they really wanted to stick to that three-year thing? I'm not sure. Maybe they could pull it, uh, 343 could pull a Halo 2. Somehow it gets thrown in as the last 360 game. And I don't think any of us really want to see that. We really want to see what they can do with the Xbox V next and whatever kind of performance it'll have. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's going across, uh, that's, going, that's using your approximation of when you think the next console is coming out. We look a little bit closer to uh, to when I think it's coming out then I think we'd probably be closer to um, like Halo 5. Being what we're talking about yeah. right here, being, being the, a cross-platform transition. And so I, I've, you could potentially see something on Halo 4, sort of the, the very best and greatest uh, of what the 360 has left to offer. Because I remember going into Halo Reach, um, Xbox, or Microsoft, sorry, Xbox, Microsoft was offering uh, at some point, uh, it was either buying the game or offering some sort of discount uh, for people who are trying out this new disc format uh, for CDs because it was some sort of new compression style. Somehow they're getting more content onto a disc. So Going into Reach? Going into Reach. I think mm. th- I think this was after uh, ODST. Or no, sorry. This I was thinking of the beta. Um, no, this was, this was after Reach was, was out. It was... Um, for uh, Combat no, Evolved Anniversary? No, no, no. This, is, this was for Reach. Okay. But it was after Reach had been released. It okay. was, you know, a couple months after release they were experimenting with it. So, you know, for anyone who didn't have it already they had they could go ahead and do this so there's all these little things microsoft is trying to jam and push everything into the xbox shove everything in there in the kitchen sink try and cram as much as they possibly can into this console before 
having to finally give up and shift over to the next uh, iteration. So I think using that sort of thing, we could see a lot of interesting either set pieces or cinematic views or interesting game, game types. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in this, what could potentially be the, the the final Xbox 360 Halo? Right. All right. So let's delve right into all the news that um, has been released surrounding it. A lot of it, most of it, coming from that uh, initial video documentary Vidoc that 343 released, um, talking about Halo 4 development, new trilogy. You got a new campaign. So Master Chief is back. And interestingly, do you know actually? Uh, from, I don't know if you saw the, the Conan interview, yeah, no, where uh, he is getting his his cameo as a, a box a box lifter, and or if you saw the interview, a a coward who doesn't know how to use his gun. Um, but they Frank O'Connor was speaking there um, with Conan O'Brien, and uh, something he mentioned was that this was uh, Conan's appearances late in the game when um, when the Master Chief is on the largest human ship ever made. Right, and we'll and get to that. Is eventually. getting ready for a war. So going into this, we do know that it is going to be a, uh, a three-game trilogy. So, you know. What, what does that spell out? Let's, let's discuss it. 343 says they want more character development of him. And can they do Bungie with a good... Can they do Bungie justice with a good game still by shaking up the formula? Because... What Bungie really did was abstracted the character from us. Master Chief didn't say all that much. Cortana was really what gave him any semblance of humanity at all, kind of, with their interactions. Pretty much he was the only one that talked. That's the only time he talked. Kind of ironic if you think about it, because it's the uh, the computer giving, giving a humanity human. to the human. But yeah, and something... I mean, I guess that, that allows you to sort of to place yourself in the character. And as we were talking about at the beginning of the, at the, beginning of the podcast, Xbox has this mass appeal. And Halo is the most popular game on Xbox, also has that same mass appeal. And so by allowing pretty much anyone to pick it up and be the Master Chief, I think that's really necessary. Right. Um, and so let's talk about allowing him to, or allowing us as gamers to, quote, get under the mask, as they say. They did that, Bungie did that, and I think very successfully, um, through uh, comics and shorts and novels. Halo is one of those few game franchises where I am what I consider to be completely invested. That it, That is to say, I read all the books and I read all of the kind of secondary material, you like might call expanded it. Expanded universe stuff. Right. Uh, to kind of better understand it, I've read all of the books to date, and I think they're fantastic. You should read them. Um, and they add a lot to they add a lot to, of substance to it, and that's where Master Chief's personality was developed. I mean, the books talked about him as a child being abducted for the Spartan program, talked about the Spartan program in detail, talked about his early years, what he what he did, his exploits, and it's, it's all these it's all these little things that are they're much more subtle that Bungie did. It's sort of something that I really loved about the, all the games is that. It's retained that mass appeal. It is that sort of you, you can run and shoot and jump and have your shields and kill elites and grunts and all that thing, not caring an inch about the story, but just playing through and you can have a fantastic time. Or you can do what you do, Simon. And to, you know, I haven't read all the novels, but I've read I've read most of them. So I've done some of that as well, where you go into the backstory and you're either reading the books or reading all the terminals and all these other things. Bungie did a very good job of sort of subtly allowing you to get very invested without really forcing it in your face, right. which is going to be something 
I'll be interested to see how 343 handles it because if they mess with it too much, they could end up scaring a lot of people away from the campaign and forcing people out who would otherwise be playing because they're, they they don't remember Mass Effect, or not Mass Effect. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, whoops. Ugh. Uh, they don't Halo. remember Halo and Master Chief being this way. And it's not, yeah. If there's one thing gamers and geeks, the geek culture doesn't like, it's change. Seriously. I mean, as soon as anything changes on one of our favorite websites, there's a petition, there's rampant outcry, there's outrage. Mass Effect. See, that's where I was going with that. <laughs> there, yeah. So, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just a little bit ahead of everything. I know, I right? Um, so, Bungie did what we might call like the Valve strategy. It's there if you want to pursue it. And it's very good if you want to pursue it in-game and out-of-game. Um, will they throw it right in front of you? Because 343 has also said that it is going to be a darker, grittier game. It's going to be more emotional, more visceral. What we have, there's going to be a quote, new dark threat. Um, Which would seem to suggest, at least, to somewhat of a degree, it will be a bit more in your face because if it's going to have that sort of dark uh, quality, it's probably going to be much more emotive in the right. characters. He's going, like, they're going to be tested. These characters are going to be tested and we're going to see different aspects of them than we have necessarily seen before. So what do we know about the story? Well, Halo 3, if you beat it on Legendary, and, like, okay, here you go, Miller. I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, Once again, you achievement whore. Yes. Uh, it ended with the legendary planet. Uh, Master Chief, they went through the portal. The It got cut in half. Yeah. Arbiter got back to um, Earth, landed. The back half of the ship kind of floating in space somewhere because the portal shorted out when he was, like, through, so it kind of left maybe, like, halfway between Earth and the Ark. Um, and the debut trailer picked up there. He said, wake me when you need me. Cortana thinks there's an emergency. He wakes... He goes out and he sees something. The legendary planet was kind of like this silhouette and then like a blue light coming out from it. And a lot a lot of the people, um, there's sort of been insiders rumors saying is this something more uh, akin to, uh, or sorry, akin to Ghost of Onyx where it was the, the shield world, the, yeah. the, um, the sort of the planet, but then something within. And you saw this, this developed more, I think, in Halo Wars where you inside the planet. Yeah, and so this, you know, that could be an element um, in this new Halo Four. Right. Um, so let's think about this. He's in the middle of perceivably, conceivably nowhere. Somehow he gets guns. Uh, but three four three has put out renders of Covenant as well. Where do we go? We're like nowhere near Earth or humans. How does he come back in contact? These are all things that they're going to have to explain to us. Yeah, I mean, my the only thing I can really guess at, at this is that following the uh, the elites switching teams at the end of uh, of Halo Two, um, going into Halo Three. After Halo Three, potentially the rest of the Covenant, or at least majority of it or parts of it, made the same shift. And if that were the case, that would give humanity access to not only massive communication lines and this you know massive empire mm. but also be able to rebuild quickly and the ships to get them back out into space and potentially run into floating hunk of one of their ships yeah well let me expand on this and this you'll get if you read the novels right and this is where i think it adds so much and you now we're able to talk about this the latest novel halo glasslands by karen travis one of my favorite writers 
for many different reasons. Um, it talks about the after the war. Uh, and one of the things is humans have launched a plan to actively subvert the what's left of the covenant. Like the covenant had been split by the arbiter because he seems to be soft on humans um, and seems to be a weak leader. Um, so there are a lot of people secretly trying to stage a coup and challenge him. Also, since the covenant's fallen apart, all of their technology has pretty much died because they have no idea how to repair it. Like, it was the collective effort of all the Covenant that actually kept things going along. Now that everyone's splintered and all these races are fighting each other um, because they've been disillusioned, there's no reason for them to stay together. They're almost all on the brink of civil war. How ironic that the uh, the fall of religion has brought about a loss of science. <laughs> nice. Nice reading of that. Um so that's that's pretty much where it stands. I mean, you could read the plot synopsis, or better yet, read the book, get a better idea of the situation that Master Chief will be walking into, because one of the worst things that I could ever imagine is walking into a game, and a situation is present, and you have no idea why. And this is what happened in Mass Effect 3. If you did not play the Arrival DLC, you had no idea what the heck was going on because I know Simon I know you you did play the uh, the arrival of DLC as well as all the rest of it um, however I didn't get the chance to play the DLC and I really sort of hate myself for that because I've, I've wanted to and I just have never gotten around to it but when I popped in Mass Effect 3 it started I was just I was ready to go I'm like this is going to be awesome this is going to be how it all ends it's going to be great why am I in some administrative building and why is this yeah, why are, marine dude yeah, talking why to me is as James, if we're the best, best of buds. I'm like, who are you? Why am I here? What's going on? Right, you're on Earth on administrative leave. You're the Normandy's grounded. How did all this happen? And uh, didn't really get explained until like you actually get into the game. And even then, it doesn't really make that much. Never really impact on why you were there. You were there because spoiler alert: one, two, um, the. You, you basically committed mass genocide by sending an asteroid into a mass relay, cutting off the Batarians and allowing them to get totally owned by the Reapers, but in effect buying the rest of the galaxy more time. Um, so let's jump back to <laughs> Halo. There's the possibility that that could happen again um, because of if you don't read the book or any of this secondary material. So it will be an interesting uh, thing to see what 343 does, like who, who they cater to. I mean, obviously, the uh, the non-book reading audience is probably going to be larger than the book, book reading, reading audience. audience, for How, sure. However, the question is, what really interests me, um, so many people go into Halo and just bypass the single player, don't even play it, they go straight to multiplayer. Right. And so what I, what I would be wondering is, for the single playing audience... How close is that? Is that percentage? Because that I think could be much closer to the book. So it's mm -hmm. who do they cater to? Do they, do they cater to those who have read the book? Do they cater to those who have no idea what's going on? And right. they find some, try and find some happy sort of in between. Uh, I'm not sure if they can, uh, but if they can, I think it would be especially interesting. To put yeah. my hat to them if they can do that. And we'll see if this is 343's new strategy. If it works, it'll be their defining mark that they leave on the Halo franchise. Because sort of up to this point, they've always been Bungie's little little stepbrother, always sort of tagging along, helping out, not really creating anything themselves. Um, I mean, you could say Halo CE, they did they did put out, but that was, as we talked about earlier, it was essentially reskinning. And so this is really the first time that they're putting out something new and original 
that's sort of not signed off on by Big Brother. Right. Um, so, also, what we know, they're trying to make the game more cinematic. Again, good or a bad trend? I mean, uh, Halo was... The original Halos, the Bungie Halos, were pretty um, t- spartan on their cutscenes. Uh, forgive my pun. Though, um, though, let's be fair, especially there, there were moments, especially in Halo 3... In Halo 3, you saw a gradual trend of increase, especially with towards, Reach. Towards the end. With Reach in the end, you saw those vast sweeping vistas of the Pillar of Autumn and, and things like that, all of Reach on fire. This may know. be relating back to our earlier discussion about the uh, the Call of Duty games, or this may just be hardware allowing them to do this. Right. And this may have been limitations earlier on in that they've gradually been able to increase it. And Could. so this goes back to what we were saying. Will they add more because they can or because they want to? Could be. Of course, the HUD and armor get completely redesigned. They are for every game. They continually do because we can skin more, have better detail. But uh, what we see is that his armor is a lot more segmented, and we see a lot more of this rubber under weave. Yeah, and it'll be, it'll be a lot, uh, be very interesting to see sort of how subtle or how drastic it changes. In some games, it's been just almost aesthetic. If nothing, like no, nothing really else, so just like little minor changes. Times it's been uh, a lot more with Reach, and especially I think ODST more than anything. Yes, yeah, um, definitely. It was this this big change. So going into potentially a new console generation, definitely going into a new trilogy. Uh, do they keep it the same? Do they change? Right. I mean, they pretty much changed for every single game thus far. Uh, all the elements get kind of thrown around, rearranged. Not necessarily a bad thing. It takes a few seconds for you to get recalibrated, but I mean, I think people get. Used I mean, to it it's 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 always just sort of like, to me, almost it just feels like they took the original and you Photoshop a little bit. So, it's these minor change helmet a little bit. Yeah, longer, change you know, it. Little Mark little five, Mark six, six Mark yeah, you know, seven, etc. So it's it's subtle changes. Like I said, how subtle, how drastic. Mm-hmm. So we we pose um, these questions to you guys. Okay, co-op. Normal and the what I would argue is the iconic style that Halo created, or we've heard of Spartan Ops, which wow sounds a lot like Call of Duty Spec Ops or uh, Splinter Cell Deniable Ops. Too many ops going on in co-op. Um, what what's going on? Are are they going to provide us the? classic Halo 4-player that they established. They really created the 4-player co-op experience. Are they going to give us that through the campaign, or are they going to, once again, I think for the worse, copy Call of Duty with these one-off missions? I mean, I'm just going to go out and say, I think they have to, because if they don't include it, as we were, as I feel like I'm always referencing earlier in the, in the Comcast, but as we were saying earlier, fans on the internet... They'll petition, they'll moan and say all these things, and it'll be just, we want it the other way, we want it this way, that way. So I think, I, I would definitely be one of them. I love that, that iconic Halo co-op style is just so fun, sitting there with either a friend or three other friends on your couch, just going through, right. screaming, yelling, jumping, it. shooting, all these things. It, this is what defines Halo, and I think you can add on this Spartan Ops thing, which is this online multiplayer component, but I think... That has to be something tacked on. It has to be an addition to the house. It can't be part of the foundation. Yeah. I mean, my best memories of Halo 3 were uh, one co-op time we were running. Uh, four of us got wraiths and scorpions. So, sure, Spartan Ops, and I would like to see both. 
but let's dive into Spartanovs. Now, this is where, Alex, you were mentioning earlier, there's this giant ship that they're on. It's called the UNSC Infinity, and I'm going to inject a little bit of, again, if you read the book, you'll be on much, much better footing for understanding what's going on. Um, the UNSC Infinity is pretty much the ship that the uh, humans are making post-Covenant uh, War, which is incorporating all the Forerunner and Covenant technology that they can. They're trying to cram it all aboard the ship and make like some giant ship of awesome technology deafness. And one of the initiatives that we that the book, the latest book, left off with, I'm eager, really eager to. Uh, pick up with where uh, the next one starts is the Spartan 4 initiative. Now, Master Chief's a Spartan 2, and you're wondering probably well, how did they get to 4. The books also, if you didn't read, have Spartan 3s, which then you now need to check out. However, also if you pay attention in Reach, those, those are actually also Spartan 3s. With the exception of George, I believe, who's a Spartan 2, but yeah, that's you're correct. So... You can, like I said, there. It's it's all these subtle ways. You, to your you, point, yes, I think you can. You can just play the games and sort of understand what's going on. But Simon, I think you're you're much better, you're much better, much more informed on the backstory, and I think that uh, allows for a much more complete gameplay. Um, the Spartan Four Initiative, pretty much, they're rolling together the best of the best. What's left of the Spartan Twos? Uh, what's left of the Spartan Threes? Which there aren't a whole lot of them left. And they're trying to create brand new uh, super soldiers. And unlike previous generations, Spartan 2s were all kidnapped. Spartan 3s were all um, orphans who were victims of war that wanted to get revenge. These will be all volunteers, and they can be adults. Um, and they will be... Uh, this new initiative will take that, place on this ship. That, I think, is, will be curious, because in all the things, they've always been children because they've needed the time to train and by the time you get to sort of, uh, at least for the, with the Spartan 2s, the, the drug augmentation uh, can they, could they even do that to the adults? Like what would happen? Because I think they were assisted there by the by puberty wasn't it? Uh, well, I mean we'll see. The, basically Spartan 4 was where Halo Glasslands left off and so that'll be interesting to see. Alright, so enough of the story aspect of Spartan Ops, let's talk about uh, the technicalities. Now, uh, 343 have said there will be plot for it and that they will release content regularly based on like various things you encounter and various kind of missions throughout the ship. Now, I don't know what that means, but that could go a ton of different ways, and we'll talk about that. Yeah, and that, I mean, uh, this could be a new sort of form of episodic gaming, hopefully not the, not the Valve kind where it's one, two, right. wait for it. Wait for it, but anyways. So hopefully it'll be much more like, say, I, I'm a big fan of the the FIFA series, and in this this most recent FIFA game, FIFA 12, there's this weekly challenge that they put out, where based on some real life real life game or something, they'll put you into some random moment in the game. And this thing, this has been, I think, the, the Madden series has been doing this for several years, where it's these sort of historical moments, and you just go in and you play a part of it. And they release this every week for experience and all these things. So I think they could do a similar sort of thing where it's weekly um, 
probably not daily. Like they have the daily challenges, challenges and, and weekly challenges. For but each. I think I think this would definitely have to be. It would be story driven content. I would, think. Yeah, it would have. It's to be, like story driven Spec Ops. If like Spec Ops had continued the story, the campaign story of Modern Warfare, and they were just these one, uh, like one or two off missions. And I think it would definitely have to be at, at, at the very quickest weekly, probably more like bi-weekly or monthly, if right. they were to have these sort of this, these story elements in them. Right, and now here, let's see how the gameplay would be. Would it be like Spec Ops, where you kind of do this little mission, or is it going to be uh, like Mass Effect, almost, I could think. I could imagine you, you know, in Mass Effect, in the co-op multiplayer, you get dropped off by the shuttle. I could imagine very well that coming from the UNSC Infinity and each week it's like a new map that I mean, you have to do various objectives on. And Mass Effect sort of did this where you can see on at least the Xbox, the uh, PSN blocked this, but they had these these weekly challenges where every it wasn't I don't think it was every weekend, but it's every few weekends they have this thing where you do this map, do these if objectives. If the community gets certain things, you will be rewarded. That could very well be it. And Mass Effect did implement the co uh, kind of the multiplayer, uh, but it was kind of a contrived way. It was like Shepard cleared, if you played the N7 missions in Mass Effect 3, you play on the multiplayer maps. What they say is, Shepard cleared the way, now an elite team, that is you, need to fend off enemy invasion from it. Uh, and hack it, you know, after each N7 mission says, you know, you did a good job, Shepard. Alright, we're sending in elite team to hold the ground. Hack it out. So, yeah, you're that elite team. So, potentially, um, I'd be interested to see if they somehow do the same thing related into Halo 4, it's like, okay, well, Master Chief has just gone through here, so you other Spartans, go in, follow him. Or if it's sort of, well, Master Chief is off doing his own thing, we're going to do our own thing here. So, which path they take, uh, we'd be interested to hear which path you think they will take, um, yeah. and which, which one you'd like to see. All right, now, this one, huh, talking about multiplayer being given a story, Frankie says... Multiplayer will be given a story. Um, 343 uh, says that they will now attempt to explain why Red Spartans are fighting Blue Spartans. And for that, I would just recommend that they point to the series where they have been attempting to flesh that out for 10 different seasons and is eponymous, Red vs. Blue, by Rooster Teeth, which we also love. You know? Um, But as for multiplayer being given a story... Does it matter all that much? I don't think we care. I think we just want to kill other people. Well, I don't know. I, I've i always been sort of a, uh, a nerd in that regard. I love history like you, and I especially love going deep into these things. Like I, I remember I mentioned Age of Mythology. That's one of the, I, I was very good at all the mythology tests when I took Latin in middle school because I literally just would right-click on the unit card for all these units in Age of Mythology and just read the description. Yeah. I did all these things. I love going in-depth on these things, and I think the added story on these multiplayer missions, if they could somehow supplement and contribute to the single-player story, I, I mean, I, I know I would love it. I would, you know, freak out and be like, this is awesome. <laughs> if Yeah, now if you clicked on all the unit or, like, all the pop-ups on Assassin's Creed, you'd ace your art history test. Yeah, I'm planning on doing that before <laughs> next week, so... All right, um, let's see. We're pretty much right on top of 90 minutes now, um, so that ends the first Wiki Game Guides community podcast. Uh, again, we really would like for you guys to comment and contribute, um, maybe even join us for one week. 
you, we'd like for you to comment and start discussions in the forums or comment below the post. But if you want to, you can email more lengthy propositions or ideas, topics, suggestions to ComcastWGG, all one word, no caps, no punctuation, at gmail.com. Uh, so I'm Simon. I'm Alex. And we'll end it this first week with what um, Dan and John always say, game on. Thank you.